0: Morning. The big question where are we going next? Have any bets? Any side bets? Really? We're going to start a new study in the book called James this morning. Were you right? Really? Wow. Well, twice has the Lord spoken. <laughs> James chapter 1. <clears throat> um, I, I was actually surprised. I thought I had preached through James before, but I have no record of it if I did, and there's no record on sermon audio. So, um, <clears throat> James, sometimes called James the just this is not James the son of Zebedee. Probably not. Anyway, there's, there's some debate, but most people say this is not James the son of Zebedee. Remember, James the son of Zebedee is one of the three disciples that's with Jesus on some very important events, the transfiguration. He's there. He was there at the resurrection of Jairus' daughter, That James was murdered by Herod Agrippa, which we studied in Acts chapter 12. And they think that that happened around 43 A.D., 44 A.D., and that that was too early for it to be the same writer of the book James. What what scholars say is that James was likely written in 45 or 46 A.D., the Jewish council that we also studied about in the book of Acts. So the, the time period of this being written is sometime between the death of James, the son of Zebedee, and the Jerusalem council, which was in 48 or 49 AD. So sometime in there. This is written by James, the brother of Jesus. Likely, not a believer during the lifetime of Jesus. I mean, We don't know that with 100% certainty. But we do see some examples in Jesus' family, some doubt in the Gospels. You remember Jesus is preaching and his family is getting frustrated with him. And they're saying, you don't even have time to eat. What is going on? You are a fanatic almost. And they want him to kind of Chill out, not have crowds and just work from sunup till sundown every night. And there's such a crowd around in this house that they can't actually get in to see him, though. They send a message. And he is told, your brothers and your mother are outside. They're calling for you. And Jesus says, who are my mothers and my brothers but those who do the will of God? And he's speaking to those in front of him as if you're my family. The true Christians are my family. Not to disrespect his family outside, but to say they don't understand what's happening right now. They don't understand the importance of what I'm doing. They're thinking normally, worldly, worldly. And things like that make us think that probably James wasn't a believer until later. We know he is a believer after the resurrection of Jesus. Um, whatever doubts he had at that point were cleared up, and he became a believer. Um, and is actually one the probably the first bishop of the mother church in Jerusalem. James, if you remember when Paul came down from Antioch with questions about is circumcision required for salvation or not? Remember, Paul gave his account of how God had worked and Peter gave his account. And James also says, listen, that's what God's doing. We have to accept it. And he speaks on behalf of the Jerusalem church. James, a brother of Jesus, was eventually stoned to death and murdered, church historians tell us, by scribes and Pharisees for his faith in Jesus and refusal to renounce him around 62 A.D. So this is likely James, the brother of Jesus, not James, the son of Zebedee. And there's some other Jameses too. It's a a common name in Judaism and in that part of the world. But the main point of the letter, you know, some books are very theological in nature or they're written to um, to refute some sort of particular heresy. I think this book is more about um, encouraging Christians who are outside of Jerusalem to live out their faith in practical action. I mean, the teachings of this book have been very important in the history of the church. And James is probably, I would, some commentators say, it's either the second or third favorite book of Christians, especially in the New Testament, James. And so I think this goes right along, Eric, with what um, Greg has been telling us, that we can talk about theology a lot, but we also need to talk about just how, and maybe more often, how are we living out our faith practically? How are we not earning our faith, but showing it? Um, Or to put it in the way James does, Live out our faith in doing. Well, that's enough for now. Let's, let's read. We'll read verses 1 through 18 this morning. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Tempted. I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good... And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Amen. So the greeting, somewhat normal. Paul, excuse me, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think he's calling the Lord Jesus Christ God here, even though he believes that. But I think he means the father. Greetings, a servant of God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So the dispersion would refer to Jews who are outside of Jerusalem, scattered, scattered. Because of persecution or various reasons, he's writing them this letter. He identifies himself. I am a servant of God and the Lord. Really, when he adds, I know I've said this a million times, but don't read over Christ like it's Jesus's last name. It's not his last name, Jesus Christ. It's a title anointed one, Messiah. When they use it, they are trying to communicate something. And what are they trying to communicate? That He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the King. I'm a servant of God and King Jesus, is what James is saying in his greeting. The anointed one. And he's writing to The 12 tribes, the scattered tribes, what we would call and what I think he means is the new Israel of God, inclusive of Jews, inclusive of Gentiles. But using that same language from the Old Testament, the 12 tribes, the priests would have the 12 stones of the tribes. Jesus called 12 disciples. This is representative of God's people but in the new defined way, in the new covenant. If you remember, Brother Howe taught us very clearly on this subject. He's not a Jew who is one outwardly. You can be a a real Jew while being a Jew outwardly. But the point is, the inside is the part that needs to be a Jew. Got it? If you're a believer, then you're a Jew. A believer. You are part of the Israel of God. And and we've talked about that. Some of you may not be familiar. But these terms are redefined in the New Testament. The church is Israel. The believers are Jews. The non-believers are the wicked. And really those who will be cast out. We can talk about that more at another time. But I think he's talking to the 12 tribes, various groups who are meeting, probably Jewish Christians, but I don't think it excludes others, but probably to Jewish Christians. Um, so, So he says to the 12 tribes, greetings. And then he jumps right in with a discussion of enduring trials. The subject comes up a few times in James. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Listen, we need help in this area. Trials are not something to discourage us, even though they often do because we're immature and weak and we need to grow up. And actually, we should be thankful for the trials because they're actually helping us to grow up. The Bible says, if we understand it correctly, that trials toughen up your faith. You toughen up your faith. Your faith needs to be toughened up. You ever hear a kid, they fall, a little bitty fall, and they cry, 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 and you say, you need to toughen up. Get up. Rub some dirt on it. Come on. Your faith needs to toughen up. And I hope you'll listen to it and not be prideful and say, mm, not me, I could do without the trials. My faith is already tough enough. Don't do that. Trials, James says, gives us steadfastness in the faith, which is what we desperately need as Christians, isn't it? Don't we need steadfastness in the faith? Isn't that like almost the only thing we need? Is steadfastness in the faith? I mean, if we lose everything, that we've ever had and loved, but maintain steadfastness in the faith, we will be in the presence of God with, for eternal life. Amen. You think Job was rewarded and blessed in the end? We have great promises that have been promised to us by God who does not and cannot lie. But your faith needs to toughen up. It needs steadfastness. Without it, you you won't persevere to the end. Jesus taught about this, that faith requires perseverance. Quote, They Matthew 24, 9 through 13. Does your faith need steadfastness? Of course it does. And guess what? Trials bring about steadfastness. I know I often tell you all stuff about farming, but a lot of times little plants that you grow inside and then you, you put them outside, they're not ready to go full time outside. The wind will just blow them over and they're dead. They won't recover. You have to kind of push the stem around a little bit for a few days and toughen them up a little bit and get them ready to be out in the elements. Your faith needs to be ready and trials are the way that is going to accomplish it. You know, quote, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The steadfastness will harden up your faith where you've got no problems. Your faith is a rock. That's James's point. He's repeating the teaching of Jesus perseverance and endurance in the faith. It, listen, it is not the path of ease. No, it's not. It is a difficult path, is it not? This is the teaching of Jesus. Enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it. The point is, it's super easy to go through that gate. There's, It's a... 10-lane highway, and they're all going through, the speed limit is very fast. There's no traffic jams, just right into the road to the gate that leads to destruction. But listen to the words of Jesus. Small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Does that sound like an easy path or a difficult path? If you were going to go on a hike and I said, be careful on that path because only a few people find the way back on that path. Would you still take it? I mean, we are taught in Christianity to count the cost first and to know this path is not going to be easy, but it's a good path. It's the path that leads to life. It's a narrow path. It's a path that's filled with trials and testing, but it's a good path that leads to everlasting life. So, if you know that from the beginning, you're Christians, you know from the beginning that Jesus said, "This road is not easy." In fact, if you follow me, well, guess what? They killed me and hated me and dishonored me and treated me disrespectfully on numerous occasions. What would you think they're going to treat you better? Impossible. They will treat you like they treat me because you follow me. If you know that at the beginning and you still decide to follow Jesus and take that road, then you should know there's going to be trials on that road. Do you know there's going to be trials on that road? Have you experienced those trials already? And did it help your faith? What you need, you need battle tested. You need strong faith and trials will bring those, bring that to you. Verse five, five through eight, prayer. Prayer. Is also a vital part of the faith. We need steadfastness and we need prayer. And this goes right along. Sometimes people say James is not, he doesn't really have an order that he's doing. I, I disagree. It doesn't seem strange to me at all. Are you in a tough spot and you don't know what to do and you're experiencing trials? Well, guess what? Verse 5. If you need help, pray. While you're going through this and this trial is toughening up your faith and you lack wisdom on something and you're not sure, pray. Ask God for wisdom. Say, I'm not sure. I don't know what to do. God, will you help me? Will you help me? But listen, prayer is not easy either. Is it? I mean no offense by this. (laughs) I recently had a talk about when you say no offense, you're about to offend somebody. (laughs) I hope that is not the case. I'm going to speak about the church generally in the United States. Which is more important, an ice cream social or a prayer meeting? This is very obvious answer, right? Prayer meeting. And if you have an ice cream social, the church will have 80% attendance. And if you have a prayer meeting, you'll have 10% attendance. Why? Without saying, well, because all the Christians are bad. Because it's hard. That's why. Prayer is hard. It's not easy. It's hard. It's easy to eat ice cream. Prayer is hard. You think it's easy to be a priest? It's easy to be a priestess for the Lord God Almighty? You're, you're wrong if you think it is. It's not easy. It's a blessing, but it's not easy. Prayer requires faith. Our times, you know, our faith is sometimes weak and sometimes we lack faith. But James is wants to clear something up right away. Verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting. He's clearing it up right away. You need help? Pray to God. But don't you dare doubt while you're currently asking him to help you. It's a bad thing. Can we just get it out of the way? Yes, our faith is weak and we need to grow up. But when you pray, you need to believe that God hears and answers prayer. Don't timidly pray and ask God and say, I don't know if he's going to do it. Is he even listening? I'm not sure. Don't pray that way. James teaches us that is wrong. It seems like humility, but I disagree. What it is, it's a lack of faith. When you pray, you must believe that God's going to answer. Verse 6: Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. James says doubters in the context of prayer shouldn't expect a response. Is prayer easy? It is not. We have many doubts. Prayer requires faith. Prayer requires steadfastness. James says the one who prays and doubts at the same time that's a double-minded man. He's asking God for help because God has the power to help, but he doesn't actually believe God can or will grant the request. They're double-minded. Would you dishonor the Lord and doubt His promises while you pray to Him? Can you imagine if you have whoever's the most respected person for you in your life, and they promise you something, but you don't believe they're going to actually do it? It would dishonor them and say, why would I lie to you? Well, God, why would he lie? Even if he could, he wouldn't. But we know from the scriptures, it's impossible for God to lie. If he says, I will surely bless you, I'll surely answer you. The prayer of the persistent widow he taught that they should always pray and not lose heart. He says, if the unrighteous judge gave in, you think I'm not going to answer your prayers? Of course I will. And speedily, the text says. Speedily. James wants the church and the the. Twelve tribes scattered to be single minded, not double minded. Single minded. Pray for help and believe that God will help because He's promised to help. Verse 9 through 11. It's a discussion of rich and poor. Also, in the context of trials, I believe poor people are very familiar with trials right and rich people too actually have a lot of worries the the bible says that doesn't it as riches increase so does worry they're trying to figure out how to put an alarm on it how to lock it up how to block it how to make sure they don't lose it you know you remember you guys know that when you didn't have much you leave your car unlocked what are they going to do they're going to take it who cares right now you're, you, you've got some stuff in there. You don't want to lose it. You've got to lock it up. Did you lock the car? Did you close the garage? You ever have that happen? You wake up and the garage is open? You're like, oh man. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. So I think James's point is being rich or poor it can draw our minds and our lives away from God. And we can worry. We can doubt. We can focus on worldly things. That's not good. That's not that's not single minded. That's double minded. That's double minded. James is saying, poor people, don't worry. God's going to exalt you. You will be resurrected from the dead. Don't you understand how awesome this is? Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. The rich man, you would do well to remember that your life is a vapor. Which is very interesting. You just mentioned it this morning about your co-worker. You don't know. But both are called to endure in the faith and keep the right perspective that we're to be single-minded in the faith, not double-minded. Verse 12 through 15, James returns to the trials discussion and the need for steadfastness. 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life is the crown of finishing the race. Victory. In Jesus. Victory. It's the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say. So the discussion is still trials. And he's like, now listen, make sure you understand this correctly. Trials are helpful to your faith. But don't say God is tempting me. James like, that's not what's happening. He doesn't tempt. He's not tempted. James says, the temptation is coming from you, not from him. Verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Also discussed this morning in Bible study, right? From within, Jesus said, which is more important, to clean the outside of the cup or the inside? And it's an obvious answer. If y'all remember... Was it Roy that I did this with? I can't remember. Years ago, I had, one, I had the kids take two styrofoam coffee cups and put dirt all over the outside of one of them and then all on the inside of the second one. And I asked them which one, which one would you drink from? It's an obvious answer, right? The inside is more important than the outside. And Jesus said, what, what's on the outside isn't the problem. It's what's on the inside that's the problem. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then, verse 15, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's a warning. You're going to have trials. Stay steadfast and make sure you have the right perspective. This temptation is not God's fault. It's in you. Your heart is wicked. That's why you're tempted to evil. When we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, we're not praying, Lord, please don't tempt us. That's not what we're praying. We're saying, restrain our own evil hearts from falling into sin. Bless us, help us. Lead us not into into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Let us be steadfast under trials. Let us be steadfast. We've said this word a bunch, steadfast, and I think you know what it means. Firmly fixed in place. Sometimes when there's a storm they'll say, Make sure you fix your umbrellas or your chairs or things that'll fly away. Fix them, or steadfast, not subject to change. Firm in belief, determined. If you haven't or don't remember this message from Edward, it's a blessing. The power of a fixed mind to decide I'm going to do it and to be steadfast in that statement is very powerful, especially as it relates to the Christian faith. James says, Blessed is the one whose faith is steadfast and fixed and immovable because perseverance in the faith ends in eternal life. If you don't persevere to the end, it doesn't end in eternal life. This is why we have a doctrine called perseverance of the saints. And we believe that God will carry on to completion whenever he starts working in a sinner. Having been reborn, he will never abandon them. He will ensure that you persevere to the end. But listen, that's God's part. James is... I want to say I read that James has more imperatives than any other New Testament book. Maybe I'm saying that wrong, but there's a lot of imperatives and commands in the book of James. Be steadfast is his imperative. Do it. And make sure you understand that temptations do not come from God. He is not tempted by evil. And, the, and right here says, He tempts no one. Evil desires are the problem. They tempt us. And if you don't remain steadfast and fixed, then guess what will happen? It's, you, there's a, your evil desires have set a snare for you, and you're going to get caught by it. If you don't, remain steadfast. Verse 16 through 18, very natural thing to say, in my opinion. Don't be deceived brothers. God doesn't give temptations. That's not what He gives. He gives every good and every perfect gift. That's what He does. Don't say God's tempting me. That's not what he gives. He gives good and perfect gifts from above. It's coming down from the father of lights. The subject is steadfastness, right? And he says, you know what? God is steadfast. He said with him, there's no variation or shadow of turning. Have you thought about this before? If you think about a sundial, as the sun's position in the sky moves, the shadow moves, right? That's how you know what time it is. God's character does not change as the position of the sun in the sky does, and as the shadows change throughout the day. That's not what God does. There is no shadow of turning. He gives good gifts. He's going to continue to give good gifts. He's going to continue to bless. He's the same. He's not going to change. There is no variation. Verse 18, Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Does God tempt? James says, no, 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 no. He's not tempting. He's blessing. He brought us forth. He called us out of darkness into light. He saved us. In his context, he's speaking to really, right, the first generation of Christians. God called us to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We're way, way, way removed from the first generation of Christians, right? I don't know how many. If we could do the genealogy, how many generations. Wouldn't that be interesting to see? Maybe we'll be able to see that at some point in the kingdom of God. How did. Which. You know, this guy told me, but who told, who told him? And who told him? And who told him? And who told him? All the way back to the time of Jesus. It'd be very interesting to know how many generations. Well, that's what we got today. Consider it joy when you experience trials. You know, I'm not saying that we should um, seek them. But they come, and when they come, if you have the right perspective, you can say, this is going to be tough, but it's going to strengthen my faith. And my faith actually needs to be strengthened. And God's going to be with me during that time. And as I lack wisdom and I need help, I'm going to pray. And, and I'm going to pray in faith. I'm not going to pray doubting. I'm going to pray in faith. And I'm going to make sure that I'm not double-minded on the world. I'm going to think about God's kingdom. I'm not going to be prideful if I have a lot of money. No, no, no. The sun can rise in a moment and all that will go away. and It will just be a dead flower. I'm going to remain steadfast under trial. I'm not going to blame God for temptation. That's me. I'm going to praise God because He gives me every good and perfect gift from above and called us into faith. Well, we'll keep going next time. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for this new study in James. Oh Lord, we cry out to You. We do lack wisdom. We pray that You would give us wisdom. We do need to grow in our faith. Would you help us to be steadfast, to be firm, Father? Help us to understand these things that we've read, that we um, would honor your name, not dishonor your name, but that we would honor your name, and that we would have a right understanding of your character. You bless. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, Lord Jesus, please help us. Help us as we have lunch together, too, and spend the rest of our day together. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.